Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in 2 Kings chapter 2, it's time to transition from the powerful ministry of Elijah to his successor, the prophet Elisha, who will become Israel's next spiritual leader. We pick up now with Pastor Ross in a study entitled Chariots of Fire. Alrighty, let's get started. We're in 2 Kings chapter 2 tonight. We'll ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence here this evening. We're just glad to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, now to study your wonderful word, the God-breathed word from heaven comes and transforms us, instructs us, and corrects us, comforts us, and blesses us in so many ways, Lord. So help us to open our hearts, Lord, and assist us by your spirit to understand what you are saying individually to each one of us. Uh, truly, you have ordained this moment, and you guide our footsteps, and nothing's an accident. We're all here by purpose and design, and help us to uh, make the most of the opportunity you've given us by combining what we hear with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So when you hear the words Old Testament prophet, you probably first think of Elijah, the prince of prophets, uh, who we first met back in 1 Kings chapter 17. And he's been with us uh, in and out of the chapters for the last seven chapters. And now here in 2 Kings chapter 2, it's time to say farewell. Now, it's a temporary um, farewell. In eight centuries, as uh, we have talked about, uh, he has an appearance... uh, Peter, James, and John see him encouraging Jesus, speaking about what Jesus was to accomplish there on the cross, coming up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so, uh, and apparently 2,000 years after this chapter uh, and more, uh, the entire world will see him again. The days of Armageddon, as we mentioned, that in fulfillment of a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, that he appears as one of the two witnesses to the nation of Israel during the last seven years of planet Earth. You can look that up in Revelation chapter 11. And so I guess that's one of the perks of uh, serving the Lord, having eternal life. And so you're always available because you're always alive. (laughs) And so uh, here now for the context, uh, before we dive into chapter 2, now back in 1 Kings 19, we were aware that this prophet, uh, his days were numbered. Now after a horrendous ordeal, running from the wrath of crazy wicked Jezebel, Ahab's wife, King Ahab's wife, Following that great contest there on Mount Carmel with the, with the 450 false prophets that ended up being executed by Elijah's orders there, uh, Jezebel then going after him to kill him, 
Uh, he ran through the desert wilderness, you'll recall. And the Holy Spirit led him up to Mount Horeb there, the same Mount Sinai uh, that Moses received the Ten Commandments. Uh, he was suffering, really, uh, a defeatist attitude there, and he had this dazzling vision of the Lord, but it didn't seem to impact his outlook. And so the Lord said to him there in chapter 19, it's time to raise up a disciple after yourself, a man to pass the torch to, and he was commanded to anoint Elisha to be his successor. Uh, So he would be God's prophet, the next prophet to Israel, to the king, really Israel's new spiritual leader because the kings were were bad. And so uh, that's what we remember. We knew it was coming. So it has been 10 years since Elijah anointed Elisha for prophet in training. So it's been 10 years walking through the ups and the downs and seeing the miracles, developing character, learning how to pray, uh, watching the courageous man of God and uh, growing into the position that he would now, uh, now starting in this chapter, uh, uh, step into. So Elijah has been mentoring Elisha now and they were a team. You know, their hearts were knitted together, as Warren Wiersbe points out. It's not good for man to be alone. Uh, It applies not only to marriage, but to ministry as well. You remember Jesus, our Lord, sent out disciples by two and two, in pairs, you know, so nobody really went out alone. And so these two have developed quite a bond uh, there in Israel that is practically an apostate state. You know, nobody's really serving the Lord. There's like 7,000 real true believers left. And so these two guys have been ministering for 10 years. Uh, They've known that the day was coming when they'd have to part company. Elijah would be gone and Elisha would carry on. And I don't think either of them were really looking forward to that moment, but that moment had to come nonetheless. Verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah said, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company and the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. All right, let's pause there. Number one, a day of sadness. A day of sadness. It's time to say goodbye. 
And I think Juliet's words are fitting here. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Uh, sorrowful, yes, because they're going to be apart, but sweet because they anticipate the time that they will be together again. And certainly, that is the Christian perspective on death and partings and separations uh, from loved ones. One day, the people of God will be reunited together forever, uninterrupted eternal fellowship, enjoying God's presence and one another's company forever. Now, uh, the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus, will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be upon their hearts and minds. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation 22, pretty sweet. But here in verses 1 through 6, you kind of get the the sense of the heaviness and the sorrow as God graciously gives these two guys who have been together for 10 years just time to think it through, to talk, to share their hearts and what's coming, the sorrowful side here of parting. So Elijah's exit is kind of common knowledge. That's the first thing you notice because Elijah and Elisha and the company of the prophets, they all know something's up. They're all aware that today is going to be his last day and that perhaps there was a, a prophecy about a whirlwind coming and sweeping Elijah into the presence of the Lord because they all know about it and they all know it's that day. Now, the company of the prophets, what, what exactly is that? Well, I'm glad you were thinking that because I'm going to tell you what it is. Verse 3 there. It's kind of like a seminary. It started with Samuel. And back there in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, there was like a discipleship school of young men who were called the prophets. And their ministry there was a ministry of music, uh, also uh, prophetic proclamation of the word of God, probably some teaching as well. And they were receiving and proclaiming messages as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's been around for about 150 years. And uh, um, it was very fitting that they were on the way to this school uh, because Elijah is sort of the current dean of those guys. And so those 50 guys looked to Elijah as their headmaster, as as their pastor of sorts. And so the Lord is doing not an isolated thing by taking this one man of God away, but it's in the presence of the successor and those whom they are shepherding and mentoring. And so it's a thing that involves everybody. So now it's a little bit of a um, puzzle here, the way it appears. It was for me anyway. It is their last day together. They're taking a small trip, the last one. They all kind of know it, right? From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. A couple things are happening here. 
Now, the first thing I've already alluded to is that the Lord is being very gracious, not to abruptly just take this guy as he promised. Listen, here's your successor. Anoint him. It's been 10 years. He could just take him, right? But instead, he's kind of given everybody heads up, hey, it's today. Let's take a, take a walk. And he arranged it to be a long walk, you know? So they spend the day walking and talking and sharing and processing and, and preparing their hearts. And that, that's often the way God uh, works with us. It's just gracious uh, that way. And the puzzling thing, though, it seems that Elijah wants to ditch Elisha along the way. You know, and so we have to... <laughs> that's what I saw there. Uh, they... They all know it's today. Now, here's what's puzzling. They know it's going to happen today, and they all know Elisha is the immediate successor, right? So he would have to be there together. So why is Elijah trying to get rid of him? Well, a couple things I would think. First of all, is it too much emotionally for Elijah? He's like, listen, just stay here. Just stay here. Let's just say our goodbyes now. Why make this any harder? Let's just stop here. And then at the next stop, okay, you came the extra mile or two. Just stop here. Let's hug, pray, bye. Uh, So maybe that's going on. Or is he trying to test Elisha? You know, do you really have what it takes to go the distance all the way? Are are you going to man up here and follow me to the bitter end? You know, or is the Lord testing him through Elijah? Are you really in this? thing committed all the way or does elijah really want to put the whole thing off in a sense he 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 kind of got fired he got to hang on for 10 years but it was because of his attitude there back in chapter 19 that the lord couldn't get through to him gave him a couple chances he answered in the same negative fatalistic way and the lord said here's what i want you to do i want you to find a replacement you see, so some commentators say, look, you know, when it came to the day, he's kind of like saying, hey, I don't want this to happen. And uh, a little bit of weakness on his part. But, you know, who knows? Who knows really? But uh, whatever the mo- motivation to put some distance between them, uh, it doesn't work, right? So we see a couple times here that... Uh, in spite of the sadness, he's going to go forward. Uh, I like a couple times the prophets, the young men come up and say, you do realize that this is the day the Lord takes your mentor from over you. By the way, in the Hebrew, it says from over you. In other words, your, your mentor that God has provided you, the Lord is taking that away from you. That's more clearly what's happening there. And he says, yeah, I know, I know. I, I really don't want to talk about it, all right? And uh, so Elisha's no fair-weather friend. So three times uh, he says, maybe it's best that we just say our goodbyes here. And three times Elisha uh, invokes the name of the Lord and kind of gives an oath on his life as well and says, listen, like that's going to happen. I'm not leaving you, all right? Uh, I'm not going anywhere, uh, my brother. So this kind of dogged determination to be loyal to this guy, his heart is bonded to Elijah. And it reminded me of the spirit of Ruth when Naomi 
the mother-in-law, right? The mother-in-law says, listen, my two daughter-in-laws, please go on with your lives. Go back to Moab, you know, find your husband, settle down, worship your gods, and, and uh, really very strongly encourage them to leave. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Same sort of thing. If anything but death separates you and me. That was the spirit of what was going on there. Because there was a God-given bond there. And those just, what a rare and beautiful treasure some find in a loyal friend along the way. The Elisha for Elijah, the Jonathan for David, the Timothy for Paul, the one or two that come alongside and stick it out with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. What a gift loyal friendship is. The friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a real love there, and Elisha feels the same way about the old prophet who's mentored him. There's no way he's getting left behind. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going all the way into the whirlwind. I'm going to be standing there feeling the breeze on my face as you are taken into heaven. And by the way, we all fantasize about uh, having somebody like that devoted to us to be our Jonathan, but seldom are we aspiring to be the Jonathan to be that kind of friend. And so most of us are thinking, wouldn't that be nice if I had somebody that loyal who I could say, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't, uh, you know, follow me this far, or maybe you shouldn't, you know, whatever. But that person is devoted to your dying day. Um, How about being that kind of person? Amen? Amen? And by the way, let's not forget that we all have that friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus, right? All right, 7 through 12. Now the two men are going to arrive at their destination, the Jordan. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, now what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. All right, so number two. We have a day of sadness, and then we have a day of miracles, all right? Now, when it comes to thinking about uh, the awesome reality of these miracles, 
Um, I think there's kind of a trade-off involved when, what time of uh, God's uh, timing of when you would live, whether you would live in modern times when you have all this knowledge and technology and medical advancements and ease of daily living and all the blessings, uh, or whether you were going to live in ancient times when there was just darkness and unintelligible unenlightened world where life was so hard thousands of years ago. Now, living in ancient times, really, uh, you know, without that Bible knowledge, God was establishing the kingdom, and he did so with these reality-defying miracles. And yes, God works miracles today, but let's be real, nothing like ancient times. And so there's definitely a difference between the way God moved in miraculous ways in the ancient days and the way he does today. Now, I already said I believe God is working in miraculous ways. We had 12 miracles on Sunday be baptized, and and I mean that with all my heart. A changed, transformed life that goes from death to eternal life is a very grand miracle. But, you know, I'm talking about waters parting and pillars of fire and water from a rock and the sun stopping in its place at noon and talking donkeys and, and chariots of fire and a whirlwind that takes a guy up to heaven before people's very, very eyes. Listen, when God was establishing Israel, he had to do so. There were no scriptures, really, for most of that. He had to use miracles, signs, and wonders. You know, uh, when he was establishing the church. There, again, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he helped that along by lending credibility to the gospel with signs and these crazy wonders that Jesus did. And they were all real. And, uh, you know, now that we live in the age of grace, men are expected to come by faith in the light of the blessing of the knowledge and the privilege of having what we have today. That's sorry, you can't have everything. You can't have uh, talking donkeys and live with 2,000 years of church history and a completed Bible in your lap and the Holy Spirit given living in your heart. You just, you, you can't have it both ways. So if you really wanted to see that, you're going to have to give all of what you have up today for the extra aid and the help that these reality-defying kinds of miracles happened. And so, you know, a lot. why did I go off on all of that? Because a lot of people look at uh, chariots of fire and he takes his cloak and he, and, he, and he hits the water and the river opens up and parts and piles up on each side. Yeah, you know what? When the church is removed and when the Holy Spirit who restrains now the world from going over the edge. He's called the restrainer, by the way, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When he who restrains goes with the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, then, my friend, the miracles come back. The last seven years, full of them, 
just the same kinds of miracles that appeared in the ancient days. Why? Because there's no truth. There's no Holy Spirit. He's everywhere at once. He's here in that sense, but he's not here as the pillar and the foundation of the truth and dwelling the church of Jesus Christ. And so the need is there again for reality-defying miracles. And yet, even with them, men will refuse to repent, even with the miracles, because it's not about seeing a miracle anyway, though it will be helpful to some. Many will just harden their hearts. And so with that, we, we can talk about waters piling up and believing it and understanding that God was using this to talk to people and to establish Israel from whom we have a savior. So the 50 prophets here are watching, all right? So they come to the end of the road, quite literally, there with the, with the River Jordan being at the end, and apparently they need to get to the other side, which was still technically Israel because uh, uh, Gad and Manasseh had some of that land. But uh, today it's the border. It's the international border. You're, you're no longer in Israel when you cross the Jordan. And so he hits the Jordan with his cloak, wraps it up like a staff of Moses, hits it, and boom, there's a way to go through. Now, there's a lot of symbolic meaning here. You know, God parted the sea to let his people out of slavery, right? And then they came up along through the desert, right? And then where did they come? They came to the same place. They came to Jericho, and that's where they crossed, and that's where in Joshua 3, the same place the Jordan parted and let the people come in because there's a symbol here of death to the old life and entering the promised land. There's a picture of being born again there. Amen? Amen. All right. And so um, the Jordan River is commonly used in hymns uh, because we recognize it that it represents really a death, a barrier. Getting through the Jordan is to come through death. Uh, many, many spiritual songs like, uh, How happy is the dying saint whose sins are all forgiven. With joy he passes Jordan's flood, upheld by hopes of heaven. The Savior whom he truly loved now cheers him by his grace. A glory clothes his dying bed and beams upon his face. So the river Jordan is really very symbolic of death and coming into death and having to cross through it. So as the waters part to allow allow Elijah's safe passage, where it can be miraculously ushered into the presence of the Lord, so too, in the same way, death cannot hinder anyone who trusts in Elijah's God. So we pass through unharmed as well, and we're escorted into the presence of the king. Uh, swing low, sweet chariot. Uh, that's the whole, the, crossing the Jordan, seeing the chariot. We get it. We sing about it. Uh, we're all going to come to the Jordan. It's going to be in flood stage. But those who know him will be able, uh, really, through the robe of righteousness, Christ's righteousness that touches the waters of Jordan that come up before us, and we will see it parted, and we will walk through unharmed, Jesus' words, whoever believes in me shall never die. Amen? Amen. Well, of course, the only reason the Jordan opens up for anyone is is that Jesus was submerged 
in it at the same place. If you go to see Jesus' baptismal site, you will go right across from Jericho, right where, they, where the Jews came in from the desert, right that exact same place where Elijah and Elisha are crossing. Jesus' face was under those waters in what was to signify his death and his burial and his resurrection. And now because Jesus, the Son of God, was submerged in the Jordan River, the Jordan River could part for those who trust in him. And so that's just a a beautiful thing. Now Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he he might taste death for everyone. And that's in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. So Elijah was looking forward and we look backward to that act that enables us all to have the waters piled up on both sides and let God's sons and daughters pass through unharmed. And so uh, there again in that swing low, swing, uh, swing low, what is it? Sweet chariot, right? All right. I looked over Jordan and what did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me coming forth to carry me home. You guys are in like a feisty singing mood. All right, ready? Swing low. Swing low. Sweet chariot. Coming now to carry me home. Wow. That's the first time I ever did that. Yeah, it was fun. Let's do it again. Just kidding. All right. So, um, so now we see also, don't forget, sad, what happens when God's enemies try to pass through the same waters. Let me read to you a portion of what goes down then. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down and made the wheels of their chariots come off, so they had difficulty driving. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians. At daybreak, the sea went back to its place, and the Lord swept them into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Lord gave Egypt ten plagues to figure it out. And they could have had the blood on their doors as well. Anybody without the blood on the doors of your heart You're going to try to cross the water and and you're not going to make it to the other side. You can't swim that far. Amen. But praise God, whoever believes in me shall never die, Jesus said. So they cross over, verse 9. And so now, uh, Elijah, it's going to happen any second. The 50 prophets are watching across the other side. They crossed over. The water's back now. 
They're on the opposite shore. And Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, hey, is there anything I can do right before the Lord takes me? And uh, he says, I'd like to inherit a double portion of your spirit. Which is very interesting if you realize in Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 through 17, that the right of the firstborn is a double portion of the inheritance. So here's what he's saying. Let me truly be your rightful heir to this ministry. And with that, the spiritual power to do what you've done for the Lord and twice as much, twice as effective, twice as much of an impact that you've had. Now, one writer said this should be a natural desire for all young ministers who are being raised up a desire to accomplish what their mentors are doing and by God's grace to do even a larger work than they did. So Elijah's response is interesting in verse 10. Elijah's response, you've asked a difficult thing. But, and here's what he means by that. Uh, that's up to the Lord. And quite frankly, it's up to you. So that's difficult in this that I, it's not mine to grant that. You know, it's not like I can say, okay, my child, yes, I can't. You are asking something very difficult because it's, it's not mine to guarantee to you. But he says, if the Lord allows you to witness all of this, it, it would seem that you're going to have that request granted. In other words, if you're still standing here when the dust settles, you're probably going to get your prayer request answered. So the whirlwind comes. Notice he doesn't go up in the chariots. I've always pictured him going, you know, in and up. But the chariot seems to separate, and the commentators say it's just the fiery presence of the protection of God, uh, really symbolized when death comes, that God comes in and protects us, you see, and then the whirlwind takes him up. And so uh, Elijah there joins Enoch in being the only two men who never taste death. And as such, they remain a picture, a prophetic picture of the church who will be alive at the Lord's coming, who will not taste death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. I tell you a mystery. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die but we will be changed. At the coming of the Lord, if you're around and alive and saved at the coming of the Lord, you'll not experience death. You'll be like Enoch and Elijah who are caught up and changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Jesus, chapter uh, 24 of Matthew, said this, two men will be in a field. One will go, one will be left. Two women will be working in a kitchen. One will go, one will stay. A husband and wife will be in bed. One, a believer, will go. One, an unbeliever, will be left behind. This is what we're talking about. An Elijah moment, an Enoch moment, a 1 Corinthians 15, 51 moment, a 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 17 moment if you're taking notes all right all right so uh elisha witnesses it 
he's still there. I mean, he's probably going, am I? I'm here. Uh, there he goes, and I'm still here. So instead of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be his replacement, he tears his robes in deep mourning, and he's crying out, my, my father, my dad, this is my dad, 10 years. He looked at him as his, his spiritual father. And it's a deep sign of mourning. So now he's got some decisions to make. Elijah's gone. It's just him. The 50 young guys across the way, they're still staring. Uh, Probably jaws hanging uh, wide open. Uh, Elijah's gone, and his cloak is laying on the ground. Now he's got some decisions to make. Let's finish up for tonight, 13 through 18. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, now facing Israel, right? Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have, fi- have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. You know, he maybe he fell out of the chariot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> Whoops, <laughs> he didn't have his buckle on. No, Elisha replied, don't send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but didn't find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, told you so. All right, right, so last point, a day of sadness, a day of miracles, and finally now a day of new beginnings. Now, Notice that the mantle, the mantle is the cloak, all right? So the cloak, the prophets wore them, right? And so the cloak didn't fall and conveniently land automatically on the shoulders of Elisha. Wouldn't that be nice? The first decision that all leaders and really all believers have to make eventually, am I going to do this? God lays it out, puts it there. Brings you to the moment. But ultimately, you have to cooperate and say, I'm going to do this. I'm up for this. Uh, I'm going to make the choice. I think, really, he has to decide, do I really want to pick this up? You know, I remember the DC Talk song that was uh, well-known in the day. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? I think every Christian and certainly every leader just feels that serious, sober reality, the pressure. There's no more greater honor than to say that you're a pastor or a leader. I mean, of God's people. I mean, seriously. Is there a higher calling? I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm biased here, but I mean, I, I don't. I, I was thinking when I'm baptizing people, right? I'm thinking this is how I make my living. I make my living 
baptizing people, marrying them, bringing them together, counseling them in the name of the Lord, studying my Bible all day long, preaching the gospel, going on missions trips, sharing the gospel. That's crazy. That's a wonderful way to make your living. But with it comes this sense of, what if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I miss, lose my step and make fools of us all, as so many have done? And so there's a little bit of a struggle, but I don't see it here. He just bends it over, picks it up. This is mine. I'm doing this. You know? It's pretty awesome, man. He wastes no time. The guys are watching. They're wondering, is this the guy? Oh, look at this. He doesn't have to say, hey, follow me. I'm the guy. Listen, Elijah's been telling me for 10 years, this moment's going to happen. I'm the new dean of the seminary. You guys have to follow me. And let me just tell you all the things you told me. Uh, No words necessary when you're the authentic leader. God blesses the actions of his appointed men with, uh, with a blessing that people can see on their own. They don't need any words. And so you see what they say. They look and watch. They don't see him say anything. There's no voting. There's no ballots. There's no, uh, we think you'll be a good leader. There's none of that. There's no campaigning, right? They just look at his life and see how God has blessed him. And they say, the spirit of the, how God has blessed Elijah is now resting on this guy. He's the new leader. And so uh, I think part of the reason God had them cross over was that they'd have to return. And, and, and Elisha would have to return alone to a Jordan River that was now flowing. Ah. Uh, because now he needs to be proved. You picked up the cloak. Are you ready to lay it on the line? Are you ready to, to take the cloak and, and put it down on the water? And then what if nothing happens? 50 guys are all watching. Oh, I felt that. I felt the 50 guys watching. And I felt like him rolling it up going, Oh, where is the God of Elijah? <laughs> right? Oh, and what a cool and wise and spirit-led thing to say, where's Elijah when I need him? No, he doesn't say that. He says, where is now the God who supplied Elijah with that powerful ministry? Where is the God of Elijah now? Boom, the waters pile up. And that guy was so relieved, all right? That guy, oh, nothing in front of 50 other guys. Can you imagine? He hits it once and nothing. The water's still running. And he hits it again, you know, and he turns around and prays and then hits it again and nothing. And he's like, hey, guys, get a boat. <laughs> I don't know. My imagination's really a dangerous thing. So there's testing and courage and faith. Great start. Really good start. So... Um, the young men are watching, of course, as we just said, but they now want to go on a search and rescue mission, which is puzzling. And let me give you some thoughts on that. Um, They're aware that the whirlwind was coming. They talked about it. They told Elisha, hey, are you aware? 
This is the day. The Lord's coming with the whirlwind, taking your master from you. They knew. They saw it. Now, what's the problem with wanting to go look for him? Perhaps he slipped out, like I said, and fell in some valley, and we have to go and rescue him. What's that about? Well, it's not as puzzling if you start to think of how much that they loved Elijah. They loved him. Who's this new guy? Wouldn't it be terrible if somehow he were alive somewhere and we'd have to give our allegiance to this guy. We, we love Elijah. We, we don't necessarily want you to replace Elijah because it means we're dying to Elijah and our love for him. And going from a loved and respected leader who's mentored you and your hearts are bound together, it's a process. And you feel kind of like you're betraying the other guy by loving the new guy. And so they are asking him so much, something so ridiculous that it embarrasses him. Why is he embarrassed? Because it's obvious they'd rather live in some fantasy world than to right away just say, okay, you're the new guy, even though they called him the new guy and they bowed down and showed him the respect for being their new pastor. They're, they're just thinking, hey, well, maybe just there's some miracle that we seriously don't have to serve you instead of serving our beloved Elijah. Just give us just, just one chance. We know it's ridiculous. We saw him go up there, but who knows? Their love for Elijah, their loyalty to Elijah is driving them to believe this ridiculous thing that he's on some hilltop somewhere stranded and they need to go find him, right? And, and, and Elijah's no dummy. He knows what's driving that and he's embarrassed. They, they're not there yet. So he says, go, go look, go look. So they take three days looking under bushes. Who's not under here? <laughs> And they they come back and they say, you know what, we didn't find him. And he goes, yeah, I know, (laughs) I know, I told you so. So, um, looks like you're getting a new leader. And uh, they accept that. Well, it just takes a little bit of a time, I think. And I think everybody here understands that. Uh, I am not your only pastor that you've ever had. This church isn't the only ministry. Uh, and, you know, I think you relate and understand what those guys might have been feeling, you know. Uh, lot, lots of good stories now with this new leader in place. We're going to pick up here uh, next week. There's a really fun story right at the end of this chapter uh, that I really relate to. But we'll talk to about that later. Uh, let me give you the three reflections, okay? Here's what I do. I just sit back, I think about the chapter, and then I just type out a couple sentences, three of them, all right? Three little reflections. Number one, Elisha was the kind of loyal friend everyone dreams of having, but not enough dream of becoming. So may the Lord not only bless us, with a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but help us to be that friend. Number two, the River Jordan 
parted and allowed Elijah to pass through unharmed, thanks to our great God and Savior, Jesus, and his great suffering on our behalf, we too shall pass through the waters of death unharmed into the presence of the Lord. And we'll be able to say with Paul the Apostle, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And finally, number three, whatever it is God is calling us to do, let us pick up that mantle. Let us put it on, step out in faith and depend on God to bring the power we need to fulfill the purpose he has for our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love, your patience with all of us and the way that you are long-suffering. And Lord, we know that you will continue the work you started in us, and we just want to cooperate with you because your will is always the best. So bless us now, Lord, as we come to you and just uh, ask your spirit to kind of settle these truths down deep in our hearts. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.